You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time reflecting on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, so we can come to know not only what Jesus has done, but who he is. What is his deepest heart for his people, people who are weary, stumbling, sinners, and sufferers? So we invite you to grab your Bibles, prepare your hearts, and come along with us as we find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Welcome to episode 11 of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Winder, one of the pastors at Wheatland, and today I'm joined by Jim Bates. Jim's a member of Wheatland and has been attending, been attending with his wife, Joy, and daughter, Veronica, for the last six years or so. I just stalked you on Alexio, and that's when I found that you guys joined six years. That's how I found out. <laughs> nice. So you could, you could disagree, I guess. Uh, we'll be reflecting on chapter 11 of Gentle and Lowly, which talks about the emotional life of Christ. But before we get talking about that, Jim, I just wanted you to share a little bit about yourself because some people might be listening have never met you or they have, but they don't know you very well. And so you can share a bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Keith, for having me. It's great to be here today. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Wall Township, New Jersey, uh, right near Asbury Park in Monmouth County. And uh, my parents, uh, uh, my dad, was a uh, electrical engineer for the Defense Department, worked at Fort Monmouth or a subsidiary of Fort Monmouth, was a civilian uh, government employee, uh, high ranking. Uh, mom was uh, primarily a homemaker. She worked at a Christian school in Asbury Park for a few years. Uh, she's no longer with us. She went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Uh, I have a sister, Barbara, who lives in Boston. We get to see her uh, once or twice a year, mainly in holidays. Um, I met Joy at Columbia International University uh, down in Columbia, South Carolina. It was called Columbia Bible College at that uh-huh. point, and uh, they changed the name, I think, some some point in the early 90s. Uh, she grew up overseas. Her parents, parents worked with um, uh, Muslim uh, immigrants to southern France, uh-huh. and so uh, grew up in a, in a missionary family. Her... Uh, her time in high school was at Black Forest Academy in uh, Germany. We met at Columbia in the early 80s, uh, got married in 88 in Asbury Park, and um, in the early 90s started having kids. We have uh, five kids, Stephen, Erica, Shannon, Jesse, and Veronica. Uh, four of them are married, the four oldest are married, and uh, we uh, are so thankful for the spouses God brought their way. They're just a delight to be with. They all believe the gospel and are in, in good, solid churches. And um, our daughter, Veronica, who's still at home, is a senior at McCaskey at Lancaster School District. She graduates two weeks from today, actually. And uh, hard to believe that. Uh, she is planning on attending Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee this fall as a commercial music major. Um, I work for uh, an organization called CCEF, uh, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, 
in Glenside, PA. They're partnering or partnered with Westminster Theological Seminary for uh, several years, or several decades actually. So I'm the uh, executive and faculty assistant there, uh, meaning that I'm the administrative assistant for Alistair Groves, our, our uh, director, and then Mike Emlett, our faculty director. And uh, I also help the faculty with a lot of admin things throughout the course of the year. Um, so yeah, we've been lived in Lancaster for 20, 20 years this June, actually. It'll be hard to believe. Um, Joy works at Fry's Greenhouse. We lead a small group that's been starting to meet regularly again after COVID, which we're really thankful for. Uh, we love our small group. Uh, we will often sit together if we're in the same service during the, during the, the course of a Sunday morning. Um, I love all my, my Boston sports teams to the chagrin of many in the area. <laughs> um, uh, you'll often find me doing the New York Times cross, Sunday crossword during the week. Um, oh, we have five grandchildren and uh, one on the one on the way in November. So, mm. yeah. that's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's interesting doing this chapter on the emotional life of Christ mm. uh, with you working at CCF and thinking about. I mean, you're both doing education and also counseling and sort of those things all coming together and then reflecting on the emotional life of Christ is is interesting. Yeah, as you've been reading this book. So maybe it's something from this chapter, or maybe it's something from the book in general. Um, what, how has this book either, maybe it's reframed something, mm. a way you've thought about Jesus, it's like, oh, you know what, I, 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 think, I think differently now. This has helped me think differently. Or maybe it's taken something you've already always believed and just strengthened that or deepened that. But can you identify something or some way this book has been shaping you? Yeah, I really love uh, books that remind us or surprise us about the, the unique nature of Jesus. Um, and a, a book that I also thought about um, that's different than Dane Orland's book is um, uh, Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew that mm. came out in the mm -hmm. 90s. That was sort of a, 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 a way to think about uh, the nature of Jesus, especially the human nature of Jesus. We often think of the divine, but the human nature was something yeah, that he yeah. emphasized there. Um, and so when, when authors unpack things uh, about Jesus, especially his full humanity, it's always something that has helped strengthen my faith. Um, uh, you know, here's someone who is completely and utterly different from us and yet completely like us simultaneously. And um, I think in, like in chapter four of Dane's book, um, see if I can find it here, the chapter where he talks about uh, Jesus being able to sympathize with us. Mm -hmm. He mentions on page 47, just this came to mind this morning, just this idea that, you know, Jesus was a sinless man, but not a sinless Superman. You know, he woke up with bedhead. He had pimples <laughs> at 13. Uh, yeah. um, he came as a normal man to normal men, and he just, he just unpacks, you know, he know he knew what it was like to be hungry and despised and rejected, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, just this idea that um, there's this, it's it's not this completely otherworldly being that that we are thinking about. It's someone that we can, you know, that we can relate to. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's interesting how I think that's so hard. I mean, it's hard for me. It's it's so hard for us. Well, we can't fully grasp it, but it's so hard for us to even connect with. Uh, a human that doesn't fail, or a human mm -hmm. that 
doesn't uh, struggle with sin. I mean, it's it's not impo- I guess it's, it's impossible for us to fully grasp it, but it's very difficult for us to even consider it and consider the implications. And it's interesting because he starts this chapter with a, a page or two, or like asking the question or introducing this idea that we struggle to think of Jesus as fully human. Right. Uh, now, like presently, Jesus is fully human. And so, of course, if we struggle to wrestle with, oh, what, is that? what are the implications for Jesus being fully human when he was walking on earth? Mm. We're really going to struggle <laughs> with, oh, wait, oh, Jesus, when he rose, he wasn't just now a spirit that floated up and his body is still hanging around somewhere. Exactly. But he actually is still God incarnate. Mm. He's just now with God in heaven uh, right. and will return then and be, <laughs> and be with us again uh, as a body, in a body. And so how do, you, how do you think that, the fact that Jesus is, was God incarnate walking on earth and is God incarnate, how does that affect then the way we think about Jesus and his heart mm. specifically? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. This whole idea of Jesus retaining his humanity um, now and that and that being part of Christian orthodoxy, you know, that this was a, this yeah. was a yeah. significant theological issue is I, I really again I appreciate what, what Dean did at the beginning of that chapter and, I, and I, I think again it's just this reality that Jesus went through the same life categories that we go through um, is what makes Christianity utterly unique you know completely different from any other religion is that we have this the central figure is, is someone who is exactly like us even though again he's different from us yeah. and so um, and so this parallel reality uh, that Jesus is someone who, who weeps and who gets angry, uh, who, who expresses emotions, is, is to me a game changer in terms of how we, uh, I mean, think about Jesus and, you know, just the theological issues that surround that, but also functionally, how does that help us as Christians who are walking in a world where we also struggle with emotions mm-hmm. and deal with emotions. Um, you know, it never, it never says that, it never says in the Gospels that Jesus laughs, but I, I, I can't imagine in places like the wedding in Cana or, mm-hmm. or his, you know, bringing, when, when they had, when he brought children to himself, there had to be some laughter yeah, there. You, right. you know, it never, now, as a, you know, good reformed Christian, I don't want to add anything to the scriptures, <laughs> you know, but our sanctified imagination can, can can imagine a Jesus who who's you know happy and laughs and yeah mm-hmm. so. yeah I remember preaching on um, a couple of different passages in Hebrews and of course Hebrews talks so much about Jesus and and it particularly was talking about how he's like us mm-hmm. in, in every way and I remember I preached once on how he's he's like us but he sympathizes with us yet without sin and I remember thinking well. Does he really sympathize with us if he hasn't sinned? It's not like, it can't be the same. Right. Uh, but then when I studied it and studied people way smarter than me who talk about it, uh, they were pointing out, well, yeah, I, that I was thinking about it wrong. Mm. And when it says he sympathizes with us and, he's in, and he was tempted in every way, it's that he experiences, yeah, all the range, like you're saying, like this range that we experience, we know that Jesus has experienced that. And in some ways is still experiencing all the joys and and yes. the lament and the frustration and like all these things that we experience 
the sorrow Jesus still experiences. So it's not even like, uh, for those 33, 30, whatever years he, he experienced it, like Jesus continues to, yeah, to experience that range that you're talking about of emotions. Yeah, and presently. we're still not alone. Yeah, yeah, in the midst of those emotions. We're still not, because not only do we have the Spirit with us, but Jesus is still experiencing that as he advocates for us or intercedes for us. Yeah. And yeah, it is, it's an unbelievable comfort. And so I, I think he starts with this idea of Jesus, and it, it took me back to when I think about Jesus as experiencing this range of emotions. Mm. It took me back and made me think about Exodus 34 when, when God meets Moses, and in a sense, all of Israel, but Moses representing them yes. uh, on the mountain. And he shares his character, like, this is who I am. And the first word that he uses is, is compassionate. He says, I'm a God who's compassionate or merciful mm. and gracious. And I think like that is such a deeply emotional word (laughs) so the first word it doesn't mean that he's more compassionate than he is gracious and loving and faithful those are the other things that he says about himself but but he leads with this word that is an emotional word at its core compassion is an emotion and so i mean it's an emotion that leads to action of course all the time but it is at its core emotional Mm. and so then god is emotional right uh but i think because of the way that we use emotional now maybe maybe we've always thought of it used it this way but i tend if i hear the word emotional i think of like brushing someone aside like oh he's so emotional or she's Mm. so emotional Mm. and i think that hurts our ability to then think of god as emotional i agree and so how do you yeah like how how does that how do you think that hinders us and is there is there a way out of it Mm. Uh, but yeah how do you think that hinders us that that's how we think of emotional right yeah well, I think we have to always remember that as image bearers of God, we're all emotional beings. It's not like there's there's no one who's walked the earth who's not emotional. Yeah, right. Um, it's it's what makes us human. It's part of what it means to be human. And you know, this was a common this was a common theme in the in the early Star Trek episodes. Um, you have Mr. Spock, who you know is this half human, half Vulcan, and you know, there's this always this sense of him repressing his human side for the sake of the academy, for the sake of Starfleet. You know, yeah. um, but it wasn't until you know mom showed up or some alien creature like took over his his being that he started to express yeah. his yeah. his emotions. And so there was that interplay there of okay, you know, what is, mm. what does this look like? Or like with the um, another. Uh, incarnation of Star Trek in the, in the late 80s, 90s was the next generation. So they had Data. Um, and Data was always, you know, observing around him these people who had emotions, you know, whether it was you know, Picard or, or, who, or, or Riker or whoever. And so there was always this goal in his life to, or in his existence, whatever that means, uh, to, you know, to experience an emotion. There was mm-hmm. always you know, that theme, yeah. that thread always led up to lit up there so you know the emotions emotions are part of what it means to to be human it's not um it's not specific to a culture or to to a gender you know all of us are emotions and i think when we say he's being emotional or she's being emotional what we usually mean is the degree of expression of those emotions like are they are they expressed in a certain family or 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 person or they suppressed or Mm -hmm. 
or is there a non-expression there? So um, I remember I remember a supervisor years ago had had was was doing a review and and said to me, uh, "Well, you you just you just take things too personally," and I remember reflecting on that and thinking, "Well, okay, as opposed to what." Like mechanically, yeah. you know, we're not like what's the other option, right? Yeah, like, what's the preferred option? Yeah. It's almost not, yeah, yeah. What's the right answer? <laughs> yeah. You know, is it um, is it you know, because you know we're not machines? We're we're always uh, image bearers and reflectors of, of God. Um, it's just that because of our fallen nature, our broken our brokenness, that can go sideways in you know hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think yeah, it's it's. The way that we think of emotions um, mainly has to do with its its degree of expression or non-expression, yeah. and we, we conflate that with, you know, what it, what it means to be a, a person made in God's image who should be expressing healthy emotions. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's a, I think that's that's really helpful to think of uh, when we we are we reflect God. We are an image bearer. One aspect of that mm. uh, is that we are emotional. Right. And I think of like how sometimes it's seen as, um, I don't know if it's the ideal, but something like that. that. That to be sort of stoic and to be able to take anything without showing a bunch of emotion is often seen as like, like that's a gift. Like, wow, like you can really handle that. And I don't even I could I can't even tell how that affected you. Mm-hmm. And that's seen as like a compliment, like, wow, that's really impressive. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's bad right. uh, necessarily, but, but I think if that is seen as some sort of ideal or like you did a great job in that emotional situation because you didn't show any emotion, like then that forces us or it makes us long to suppress right. <laughs> emotion. Right. And, and I think that that's just a misreading then uh, of what Jesus does. Like we see this specific instances where he shows emotion, whether it's overturning tables or whether it's having uh, sort of this compassionate anger when Lazarus dies. And so we see these sorts of emotions that are happening, but we also shouldn't assume that every time the Gospels don't write out a certain emotion that he felt, that he wasn't experiencing emotion in that instance. Right. Yeah. I only, like, if you say, oh, when did Jesus express emotion? I'll just think of the instances where it's written out for me, but the reality is every single story we read about Jesus, oh, he expressed emotion. Sure, it's every sing every single story, yeah. and and I, I like what um, what BB well it's Ortland, but then quoting BB Warfield yeah. and talking about him, he argues that this the most frequent emotion that Jesus uh, displayed in the gospel is compassion. Mm. That Warfield, when he looks through it all, he says like this is the emotion that Jesus displays the most, which I thought was a lovely way in my mind Then it connects back to Exodus 34, because right, right. Warfield is saying Jesus shows this emotion that Yahweh has said, this is who I am, this right. is what I'm like. And so I love that, that Jesus isn't just sort of nice to people, he isn't just helpful in healing them, mm-hmm. that it comes out of this inner pain and compassion for people and then it moves him to do something right it's not just because he's a nice guy yeah so i was wondering if you could share some a an instance of that in the gospels that you see or a story of jesus that you've seen his compassion and something that's particularly affected you in your life 
Yeah, well, the one the one that came to mind was actually one that that uh, that Ortland brings out in the chapter, which is um, Matthew twenty with the two blind beggars, mm-hmm. and you know here you have Jesus who's been uh, in Jericho for for several days, about ten miles east of the city, and he is on his way from Jericho into Jerusalem. And the, the context is so important here because it's like, wow, this is, this is a week before his, his mm-hmm. crucifixion. He, mm-hmm. he knows what's ahead of him. Yeah. And here you have him walking, and a lot, somewhere along the way, these two uh, blind men are, you know, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And so there's, there's that going on. You have the emotions of these two f- fellows mm-hmm. going on who are struck with this this reality of this might be our last chance you know to, to to get anywhere with what we know Jesus can do and the fear that was all involved in that and then there's this parallel I think here with the crowd who's telling these guys to you know be quiet you yeah, know right, right. you know this is this is the king here don't mm-hmm. don't bother him and you know I was just thinking about what would be my reaction to hearing this it's like Hey guys, sorry, I've got some things ahead of me here. I, I don't have time for you right I've now. I've got bigger fish to fry. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so Jesus is walking, and and what does it say in verse thirty four? It says Jesus in pity uh, touched their eyes. You know, so there was the emotion, there was the physical aspect of that, and and then it says their sight was restored and they followed him, which is I think kind of cool because they become part of the entourage that makes their way to Jerusalem, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, heading, towards, hmm. heading towards the triumphal entry. So you have this, these range of emotions that are happening here all at once. You know, the anger of the crowd, you know, be quiet, guys. Yeah. The, the, the fellows who are, you know, fearfully but expectantly hoping something will happen, and then Jesus showing compassion uh, mm. in, the, in the midst of that. And I, I'm just, I was just really struck with how that is coupled with this cosmic question that Jesus asks, not just in this context, but with other people and other, other situations, it's what do you want me to do for you? This, this, so, so there's this pity, but it's, it's linked with his purposes, his calling. You know, it's not, it's so, so the emotions that he, that he shows there aren't sentimentalism on one hand, but it's not this cold detachment. On the on the other yeah. hand, it's yeah. this, it's this purposeful. Uh, this is part of what my kingdom looks like. Yeah. And so you have, you know, you have the, you you get to see what it's like to have a perfect God, a perfect man, in the same person, lived out in that in that certain situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's lovely. I I I haven't thought I haven't thought of it in that way at all before because it is it's it's compassion, but it's compassion. It's a visible representation of God and man, yeah, perfectly in union. And so it's compassion toward the end of God's kingdom coming and making all things new. It's not just, like, this will really be helpful for these guys. Yeah, right. It sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, no, I'm putting God's kingdom on display, and then now you're following me as I'm going to be the Messiah and and King. Like, that. yeah, that's that's a lovely image that I've, I've never thought of it that way before. The, the one that I was thinking of, and it's just because it's fresh, our, mm. our men's Bible study on Monday, we're going through Matthew, and we 
just finished Matthew 9 a couple weeks ago. And, And it says that Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. And it's around, he talks later, a few verses later, he'll say there were sheep among, among the wolves. And so he's talking about sheep. He says he has compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. And so somebody asked, like, well, what's, we're, someone's always asking, like, well, what's the Greek say? And of course, I don't know exactly what the Greek says. <laughs> so we're like, <laughs> so we're breaking out online, like the interlinear Bible. And I read, or we read together, that this harassed literally means skinned alive. And helpless means thrown down. And so I loved that picture that in our struggle and in our pain, as sinners and sufferers, Jesus sees us as sheep being torn apart. Like that's the image that wolves would come and they would tear apart sheep if they didn't have a shepherd. And so Jesus sees that. And now that's why I love how you connected it to the purposes of God. And in the covenant of grace and his longing to have his people under his kingship and his care, he sees these sheep who would get torn apart without him and comes in and has compassion and moves in to help us. Yeah. And so I, I, love the, I love that image. And I love it even more so, not just because he's a shepherd wants to take care of his sheep, but like you're saying, because it deeply connects with what God is, is doing oh, yeah. as it, our shepherd. And it really highlights our frailty. You know, it, it, it really puts... It maps onto our lives. You know, we don't we don't have it all together. You know, it it, it, yeah. it breaks down our ego because we 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 see, you know, there's this deep need here. Even if we don't recognize it, you know, we're ha- we're helpless, we're harassed, yeah, we're torn, you know, and this is the person pursuing us. Yeah, yeah. I think if we maybe if we thought of ourselves, uh, even as adults, as helpless more often, mm. it would move us to compassion. Because I think about like like. The, the movies or the stories that make me cry are when I see kids who are helpless mm. and they get helped in some way. Mm. Or whether it's like they're, they're on their own or something and their relationship with their dad or mom is restored and they go from a situation where they were really helpless and in trouble and now they're being cared for again. Like that's the stuff that always gets me emotionally. <laughs> but I think it gets me emotionally because, yeah, it's someone in a helpless situation who someone has come in and now is caring for them. Yeah. And so, like, if I saw myself, like, as the way I see children helpless, well, I'm 41 years old, but I'm still helpless. Yeah. And, but I don't often think of that because, like, well, I've got my independence and I'm American. I can do this. Sure. And I think, yeah, if we thought of ourselves as helpless, then not only would we in, uh, individually be desperate for our Savior, but we would see others and think, oh, they are desperate too. And it moves me toward people in the way that moves Jesus toward people. Right, and again, it connects us with that emotional life of Christ, so that mm-hmm. when when we do recognize that, we know that there's this immediate connection with Jesus who does take compassion on us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, not just oh, that was thousands of years ago. It's like no, now. Yeah. Now that's happening. Yeah. Uh, in you know whatever sin or suffering we're, mm-hmm. we're struggling with. Yeah, yeah. It's not about oh man, wouldn't have been great if. I could have been alive back then so Jesus could have compassion on me. It's like, no, he is right now. Yeah. And I know it's a different, it's a different thing right. uh, for us to experience that now, but it doesn't change the reality that it's still happening. Like Jesus is still having compassion on me mm. with the same force and the same depth that he was when he's walking around with people. He still has that same compassion. In the same way he advocated for people, he's still advocating mm. for me in the same way. And mm. that's, that's difficult when I don't, see him 
uh, but it's something that I have to read about. Like, thank you, Dane Orland, for like mm. <laughs> pushing that uh, into my consciousness. But yeah, so we see Jesus ministering to people, and I think it's interesting because Jesus gets celebrated, and even in the story that you shared, Jesus gets celebrated and praised as the Messiah, and then he's also rejected as one who's working for the devil, the, right. the Pharisees are saying. And so he goes through these depths and the height of human experience. And I think about like the joy that Jesus had when people repent and believe. Like these, these two blind men, not only are they healed, they're like, thank you so much, and they walk, they're like, we're with you, yeah. and off they go. Right. But then he also had friends uh, who, who die without ever believing in him as the Messiah. And so like, mm. he has these two drastic highs and lows. And like you mentioned earlier, he was never, and never was and never will be, like a stoic sort of robot walking around, not affected by things. And so how do you think that sort of emotional nature of the life of Christ that we see all over the place in the Gospels helps the way that we experience our emotion in our lives? Mm. Yeah, well, again, it, it really just gives us a template for what it means to be fully human. Um, we, we don't over-spiritualize things when it comes to our emotions. We realize that, you know, there's a Jesus who, when he was in the garden at Gethsemane, what does it say? It says he was overwhelmed. It was sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, well, which, which, who of us hasn't has been overwhelmed, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in our lives? Right. Or uh, in that same chapter, in chapter 26, the, you know, the frustration that he has with his disciples. It's like, come on, guys, couldn't you stay awake for a couple hours here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and just mm-hmm. that, just that, connection that we have when things in our lives come up like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, frustration can go sideways, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a thousand different ways, but yeah, yeah. you know, that, that emotion that we have here isn't, isn't wrong. It, it's just this recognition mm-hmm. of the brokenness and the, the, you know, the distraction, the inattention, in this case, with the disciples that Jesus was, was yeah. thinking about. Um, and so I don't have to, I don't ever have to explain away my emotions, I think is what, what's important. Um, a, a book that I would recommend, um, along with this chapter, uh, that, that Dane wrote is, um, from our executive director, Alistair Groves and Winston Smith It's called Untangling Emotions. Mm-hmm. And they, they go in and just really almost take what Dane does here and just really fleshes it out. Um, for several chapters, and I really appreciate what they do at the beginning of the book because they just talk about how Christians really struggle with emotions in terms of what is it? What does it mean to be emotional creatures? And this idea that as believers who have a reference point uh, with God, you know, or we we always have this index with God, as Keith was talking about last week in his message, you know this. This indexing with 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 God, mm-hmm. it's so when we when we feel things like anxiety, we often struggle with well that that must mean I'm I'm a failure I'm a spiritual mm-hmm. failure yeah. or if we have yeah. if we experience grief then I must not believe that God is in control yeah. or on the other side of the spectrum it's you know if I'm happy or elate or, or have you know a, a, a moments of elation. We, we experience that, but then there's this sense that, well, I better temper that because mm-hmm. that, that might be a seedbed for pride, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah, so yeah. 
which it might be, you know, I mean, we have to we have to think about those things again because of our need for redemption. But just this idea that as Christians we get uncomfortable with emotions because there's there's often this false guilt attached with it, or this yeah. idea that I'm a failure and somehow um, we just we don't see them as being something that we can just experience as, yeah. as a human being. I remember I got when when I found out that I had the job with CCEF a, a year ago or so. You know, there was a salation. I remember thinking, "Oh, well, I better not. I better not get too happy here." You know, it might be, you know, this this, uh, this place for, yeah. you know, pride. Then am I finding too much value in my job or something like that? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and then I thought, you know, no, there's there's great reason to celebrate. You know, and it could be anything that we experience in life—a you know, restored relationship or or uh, you know. A, you know, having having a having a baby, you know, as a, you know, starting a family, you know, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. we we as Christians have to, I think, uh, think more expansively and more in depth about, you know, it's 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 okay to express these things. This is again a reflection of God's image. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I was fascinated when you're talking about yeah this this range of emotions. I I was fascinated when I was thinking about. This idea that our sin, so when we struggle with emotions, it's not that we have them in that sense, but it's, it's our tendency to overreact or a mm. tendency to underreact. Right. And right. I, I, I definitely think way less about the sin of underreacting <laughs> to, to things. And so first of all, it's just amazing to think that Jesus, God incarnate, perfectly responds in a perfectly healthy way uh, to all people and to all situations. It just, it blows my mind. And so Ortland describes, he describes the godly emotional life as, uh, quote, an inner life of perfect balance, proportion, and control on the one hand, Mm. but also of extensive depth of feeling on the other. Mm. And sometimes I, sometimes in my midst of my sin, I think, oh, a godly godly emotion is actually limiting the depth of my feeling because that could get it could get away from me. Right. right. Uh, so I, I love that that it's it's this balance and proportion and self control, but also in the midst of that it is this feeling this extensive depth of emotion and that Jesus did that perfectly, mm-hmm. and that we're not left to wonder what it looks like because we see <laughs> we see how Jesus does it in right. in the Gospels. And so I want to poke you uh, personally a bit and see if you're willing to share a place in your life, and then I will as well, because that only seems fair, uh, at where you either tend to overreact or maybe un- or underreact to the sin and brokenness in the world or in your relationships. Well, it never happens. So okay. no. <laughs> then I'll share mine. Then I'll just share mine. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to. You know, so, Yes. All the time, every day, just ask Joy, uh, just ask my, my children, uh, they see it all on display. And as I was, I was, I was thinking about this today, uh, there was actually a moment yesterday where both of these things happened in the same event, uh, the underreacting and the overreacting. So um, I was traveling home on Route 222 last night. Now, if you think that you're, you're devoid of emotions, Travel 222 north or south, Monday morning or you know rush hour in the night to Reading or back, 
Yeah. Uh, it will disavow you yeah. of that right away. Try to get back between 3.30 p.m. and 5 to <laughs> Lancaster, and yes, you will experience the range. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I was, uh, I usually take the turnpike home and then get off at the Reading Interchange, and when I got close to the interchange, my Google Maps blew up and, you know, there's a crash on 222, you know, take this alternative route. And, you know, with Google Maps, you never quite know, well, are they over-predicting? You know, is it really going to be what it is? So I decided, well, I'll just go on 222. Well, there was a, I don't know if you heard this, but there was a, just an awful car accident mm. on 222 yeah. yesterday. Uh, someone had flipped their car, had gone off the road, flipped the car 12 to 15 mm. times. Uh, of course, I don't know this, you know, you just, because I was thinking it was way down by 30. And, uh, but it was just south of the uh, effort interchange. And I was stuck in traffic for dead stop for an hour and a half yesterday. And so the overreaction part of it was not knowing what had happened. You know, you find yourself, and my kids enjoy to know this, you know, I'm very vocal in bad traffic situations. So I start, you know, come on, you know, don't you understand what I got to do? I, you know, I got to mow the grass. It's a busy time of life. Yeah, you know, yeah. let us through, you know, and uh -huh. I was like, who, who am I talking to here? You know, <laughs> people are like miles away. And so there's this overreaction. But then when the traffic eventually started to move, um, probably around seven o'clock, um, I went by the, the scene and the car was still there. And it was this, you know, mangled wreck yeah, of yeah. a shell of a car. And, mm -hmm. and I remember going by and think, thinking, oh no, that poor person, what they must have been through. I think they had to be airlifted to LGH. Mm -hmm. And, but then 30 seconds later, I'm on my way, you know, and I completely, yeah. you know, I didn't forget about it, but it was just, you know, I had other things to do that yeah. night. And so that, it's just amazing how in those kind of situations, different emotions, you, you have competing emotions at the same time and, and that range that you're talking about of, you know, I can underreact and overreact mm. in ways that are just unhealthy as a, as a, as yeah. a human. So. Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting to think of it happening like in the same moment based on slightly different things. But in that, in that same moment, I was thinking about, yeah, like you said, being, being a husband and a, and a dad, you know, I'm going to overreact and underreact constantly. Yeah. But uh, it, it was interesting. I, I, so I, over, I tend to overreact with my kids, and then I have to apologize to them constantly. Probably I don't, I'm sure I don't apologize enough, but I have to, I have to do that right. on a regular basis. But then I, was, I hadn't thought much about underreacting, I guess, in one sense. Mm. But recently, Melanie pointed out to me a time that I underreacted because she was sick for a number of days, and I just kept sort of going about my business. I was, you know, maybe doing some extra things around the house, but what I, which is nice. Yeah. But what I wasn't doing is I was not, I was not feeling emotional about, about her being like just on the couch for a while and sick. <laughs> and so, and so she pointed it out to me like, Hey, like I, I don't know what she said, but it was of course unbelievably kind. And it was just something like, you know, I, it, it, it'd be helpful if you'd recognize that like I'm sick, right? Like, and, like verbally recognize. Yo, me over here. Yeah, I know. And so like I had sort of recognized it in action by like, oh, I'm trying to do some extra stuff here. Right. But I did not engage my emotions mm -hmm. at all. So it was a complete underreaction. Yeah. yeah. And then when we talked a little bit about it, she even said like like Lincoln has done a great job. Like he he'd oh. asked her like numerous times every day like, mommy, how are you feeling? Good boy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh <laughs> man. Like my 12 year old just showed me like. How to love my wife better but but it was just i thought like oh that was i'd never thought of it in the sense of emotionally underreacting right. 
because I tend to think like I can hold it together. And so in a really stressful situation in my life, I tend to not be the one that's going to go wild and and lose it. And I think, oh, maybe that's good. But the bad side of that is in a situation where I need to be emotional and then I don't do it there either. So I'm blocking it out on both ends, which one might be beneficial in some situations and then the other is harmful and hurtful. but we tend to think of just the overreacting as hurtful. Absolutely. And the underreacting is like, well, you could do a better job, but at least you didn't hurt anyone. Right. And Melanie's like, well, no, actually, that was hurtful. Yeah. Underreacting is hurtful. Yeah, Passi- passivity can be just yeah. as destructive as, mm-hmm. as you know, what, what does it say in the Proverbs? The, the fool gives full vent to his anger or something like that. So, we got, yeah, we, oh, that's that's easy way yeah. to identify. We got that. But the, the passivity part of it is, is, is uh, can, can be just as, you know, and I think about in our culture, especially, I guess we call this post-pandemic, whatever we call it now, and, and, and with the social media dynamic, it's, we're, we're, we have this dynamic of being isolated uh, with this this cynicism, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of cold, detached. Uh, I, I stand at a distance and, and and judge you from afar type of thing. Uh, I, I judge people on the world around me, um, and and that's normally what we would consider the underreaction. You know, what yeah, one of the yeah. one one of the people I think about our TV characters is Seinfeld. You know, when when Seinfeld is is uh, with his friends with with Elaine and George and Kramer. Um, and, and something goes wrong in one of their one of their lives. What's what's his his expression is you know usually oh that's a shame you know that's too bad uh, I, you know yeah. and and sort of this detached you know emotion you know underreaction you know yeah. whereas you know George is the other side of the spectrum where he's always overreacting yeah. about a relationship or a job problem or something like that so yeah. so but just that I think that's become more and more of the hallmark of. You know, trends, not, not necessarily all the time, but in our culture, this isolated, detached, um, I get kind of angry, but it's in this weird, you know, uh, relationship with others, sort of isolated and, and, and but, but then that cold detachment part is, is can be very destructive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because even sometimes, uh, particularly now, like our, our anger, yeah, our anger can be detached mm. from it's rarely is my anger on behalf of another mm. like I, it might be angry about a situation i might get angry at someone but i i'm rarely angry on behalf right. of of someone else and if i am it it it, it doesn't sustain itself mm. i mean it's just like in a moment and then i move on to something else yeah. and i was glad actually that Ortland gets into anger right. um, in this chapter because some people have asked, like, well, what about what about the anger of Jesus? Like, yeah. he's talking so much about his gentleness and his compassion, right. and, and and what about what about the anger of Jesus? And again, Ortland takes some cues, I guess, from B.B. Warfield and mm-hmm. argues uh, he argues that it's impossible for Jesus. And this isn't a quote. This is just me saying it, that it's impossible for Jesus to be in the presence of sin or wrong and injustice and be indifferent. Right. And then he talks about how his compassion and anger are not sort of like banging up against each other, right. but he says that compassion and indignation rise together in Jesus. And I I loved that image to think that they're not in Jesus. Compassion and anger are not in conflict with each other. It's that. 
His anger rises when someone's mistreated, and, but that is flowing out of his compassion. And what he's angry about is that, that there's injustice there, or that there's a lack of love, or, or whatever the situation is. But it's this, he suffers with the person that he sees, and that brings about uh, anger in him. And so I was wondering uh, if you could unpack that a bit more to give us a sense um, of what righteous, I think Orland calls a perfect anger. Yeah. But what, like, how does that, what does that mean that these two things rise together and how does that actually work practically in our lives? Yeah, well, I, I really appreciated uh, Dane Orland's <clears throat> example. He, he has, a, I think, a paragraph about this where he talks about the example of Jesus getting angry with the religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, these were men who were supposed to be shepherds, who were supposed to move towards their people, mm-hmm. to love them well. And instead, <clears throat> it, it, it all got politicized. It, it was all posturing and manipulation. And so there's, there's again, this active and passive part of this. It's, it's the things yeah. they were supposed to do, they weren't. And the things that um, uh, they they didn't do, you know, there was this vacuum there. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Yeah, and and so there's and, and so I think that's a great example of Jesus knowing, you know, I'm the I'm the good shepherd. I'm the perfect shepherd. I know what template this should look like for for a leader, um, uh, a religious leader, and yet they completely corrupted it in, in that in that time. And so. Wow, I mean, there's just there's just so much there to apply, especially in a time where we just over and over again hear story after story of uh, you know religious leaders um, you know spiritually abusing congregations or you know abuse of power uh, in, in in churches, and so the the anger that and, and the words that Jesus say like the woes and the Pharisees these are it's excoriating you know what he says yeah, there it is. Uh, there's there's no punches that are pulled there um and you got to imagine <laughs> there was a degree of emotion there yeah. it wasn't again it wasn't like the the, the robotic you know um yeah. just uh, like calmly reading off a list you know woe to you pharisee you know <laughs> yeah. it, 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 I, like tombs. right yeah. i can't i can't imagine you know it, that it that it that it wasn't uh, full of this again godly perfect emotional response um, yeah. that went there. And so, uh, you know, we think about anger, you know, was, did you get red in the face? Did the, did the blood pressure rise a little bit? I can't imagine it, it didn't. You know, these are, you know, emotions in our bodies are, you know, there's a connection there, um, but yet without sin, you know, yeah. there, wasn't, there wasn't this uh, foolish, you know, f- uh, off the charts, uncontrolled anger there. It was, again, here are my purposes, because, I'm, because of the compassion that I have, mm-hmm. I have to call this out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think, uh, now that you're talking about it, I haven't thought of it this way, but it's interesting to think that when we, when we get in trouble with our anger is when our compassion isn't rising with our anger. Right. Or that our anger doesn't come out of compassion, it comes out of something else. Because, yeah, if, if I start getting angry about something and my compassion isn't rising along with it, uh, in a sense, compassion toward everyone. I mean, 
Jesus mm. suffers with, the, like he looks at the Pharisees and, and he's hurt. He's angry at them because they're leading everyone astray and they're not being the shepherds they're supposed to be. It's like Ezekiel 34 for Israel. You now he's doing that with the Pharisees. Exactly. But then I, I imagine he's also experiencing this compassion for them because like well, he longs for them to follow him too. Right. Right. And, and so it's like as his compassion rises, it's almost like compassion is the thing that self-controls our anger in a yes. sense. It doesn't let us just go go off the handle because that compassion because we're we're considering all the people uh around us and not just ourselves and what's going to make myself feel better in that particular moment right because otherwise it's a self-righteous anger it's yeah. the, the reference point is always my offense or what you know uh what 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 thing uh in my life got stepped on mm-hmm. as opposed to oh no no wait a minute there's a bigger picture here yeah um for for, for uh for um, just you know, as a, as a reference point to you know to our anger. So yeah, if it's not compassion, something else will replace it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I thought it's interesting because Ortland could have taken any two emotions mm. and written an entire chapter oh. like he did. So he took compassion and anger because that these these two things I think that sometimes seem like opposing ideas but aren't, right. but as evidence for the emotional life of Christ. But of course he could have he could have taken anything. But I, but I was thinking at the end, like, this is the sort of anger that we can trust. Like, mm. because of my sin, my yes. anger, like, my anger has the potential to be dangerous. I hope not. Right. Well, it has the potential to be physically dangerous. But, sure. like, it hasn't been, thankfully. Mm. Um, but I can belittle others in my anger. I can ignore others. I can do that sort of passive, uh, under, um, like, underreacting things. I can cause further pain. Right. Sarcasm. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. But the anger of Christ is this perfect anger that rises out of his perfect compassion. And that, as you're saying, always moves his purposes forward. And so, like, that's anger that I can trust in. Like, I can look at that and think, okay, I trust that because it's always, in the same way that I can trust God, is always moving his purposes forward for the good of his people. When he is angry, it's always moving his purposes forward for the good of his people. Even if I can't understand it, I can trust it because I know his compassion is rising up along with his anger. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's such a different Jesus than we we see in like the movies of Jesus in the '60s, '70s, you know, '80s or whatever. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Yancey yeah, when right. he was preparing for uh, uh, the Jesus I never knew, he watched as many of the Jesus movies as he could get a hold of. Uh-huh. And the Jesus, the, the overarching theme is always this, um, ro- I guess we were saying earlier, this stoic, robotic, yeah. almost annoyingly mechanical Jesus, uh-huh. you know, who yeah. just sort of shows up and blessed are you, to, you know, sort of like these, these, these uh, uh, the eyes that are just kind of like staring out yeah, into the distance. Out the distance. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. Um, yeah. He's a, performing miracles and making speeches. But he's never connecting with people. Right. And even when he does like interact, it still doesn't feel connecting because there's so little emotion right. in the midst of it. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, it's hard to how do how do you portray perfect divinity, perfect yeah. humanity at once? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I guess we should give him these directors a break in yeah, a sense. Yeah. But still, just the the tendency towards the divinity as opposed to the humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I I think and the and the lovely thing about all that I think is as we sort of tie this around at the end is that it brings us back to the foundational verse and idea of this book 
So it's come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest for I am gentle and lowly at heart. And so Jesus is not an emotionless uh, being. Like he gives us rest because, as we're saying, he's fully God and fully man. And in the midst of that, he is the one who fights for those who are mistreated. He's not this stoic person that's not affected by anything around him. He's deeply affected by everything but he's affected and then responds in a way that's perfect for those who are mistreated. And he brings life to all the places of death or to the dead. <laughs> he, bring, he brings life and gives life. And I'm like, like that's, yeah, that's, the, that's why I can come to Jesus and he'll give me rest because he's fully God and fully man. Right. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate what he said at the very end of the chapter on page 112 where he said, um, perhaps you've been sinned against and the only appropriate response is anger. Be comforted by this. Jesus is angry alongside you. That, that, really, that really gave me pause uh, about the, the times in, in, in my life where, you know, I've, I've often, if we've gone through something, you know, is, any, is anyone angry with us about mm-hmm. this? You know, mm-hmm. and this, this yeah. idea that there really is someone, you know, sort of, who's there uh, not not uncaring, not detached, uh, and I and I wrote in my notes here. I said, you know, this portion deconstructs what we experience in anger, because anger is often isolating. But if Jesus is in solidarity with us, getting way angrier than we could ever be, th- this is a game changer because it reminds me to be uh, to express that those emotions proper, you know, properly in a healthy way as a, as a human. Uh, without becoming foolish on one end or stoic on the other end or you know just going into despair um, and so yeah. and so yeah. yeah that 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 uh, the end of that chapter was very helpful in just thinking we have an advocate even in our anger yeah it's a great thought to close on because it it brings us back to the fact that Jesus is still doing all this stuff exactly. <laughs> that it's not he didn't do it and we missed out because we're alive in 2022. Mm-hmm. But Jesus continues to do that. Like to think that he continues to be angry at injustice at our side. And, and way better and, more, yeah, and way wiser than we are. Right. That he's not, we didn't miss out on any of that. That Jesus continues to have all these emotions, uh, these perfect or godly emotions with us, some, on our behalf sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, it's a lovely yeah, it's a lovely and comforting thought to know that he, he's still doing that over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jim. I appreciate you doing this and taking time and thinking through this and opening up a bit of your life to us. And so we look forward to reading chapter 12. So thanks, Jim. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.